This, 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 we are gathered here today for the Fight Disciples UFC and Boxing Talk. Welcome to the final download of Fight Week. It's Friday. We made it. Thank you so much uh, for all your attention this week and participating in what we're doing. The interaction on social media has been absolutely crazy, mainly because the eyes of the world have been captivated uh, by what is happening at Wembley Arena tomorrow. Wembley Arena, Wembley Stadium. Blimey, don't do it down. Wembley Stadium. 93,000 people turning up uh, to watch Anthony Joshua take on Vladimir Klitschko. Who will win? We don't know. We don't know. We'll get to it a little bit later on. We'll ask some professionals as well as to what they think as to will happen. Um, but thank you so much for being a part of what we've done this week. If you've only just joined us and this is the first one that you're listening to, get on the download, man. Get the fight build-up going. Fightdisciples.com is the website where you can hear from Scott Quigg, who's on the undercard, now in an IBF eliminator for Lee Selby. You've got Tony Bellew's opinion uh, from Tuesday. We've got a bit more of a rounded show on Wednesday. If you're into your UFC, we did one of them yesterday as well. And today... We cater for special heavyweight events. That's where that's where we're going today because we didn't want to keep saying the same things that we've been saying throughout the course of the week. We wanted to do something a little bit different, maybe to capture your imagination. Because I don't know what you're like, Nick, and how you got into boxing and how you started falling in love with the fight game. But mine, mm-hmm. I can specifically pinpoint one fight that captured the imagination uh, my imagination and the imagination of my family and surrounding people. It just seemed to be everywhere. It was in the newspapers, it was on the TV, it was everywhere. And it's back, right back in 1989. Now, there'll be people listening to this, of course, that are older than me and you. I'm 35, you're 40 years of age, right? There's mm-hmm. people that are older than us that will have seen Muhammad Ali fight, that will have seen uh, George Foreman fight. They're, these great fights from back in the day. I didn't want to do that because I wanted us to speak about stuff that is significant to us in our generation from where I'm at right now stuff that I've seen whether it be on the TV or in the arena stuff that is uh, is really connected and resonated with me from a personal level and I've got to take you back to 1989 to the 25th of February in 1989 and I'm just going to build it nicely before I tell you what that fight was for those that don't know what it what it actually was right this was a fight that was originally scheduled to be at Wembley Stadium Um, in October of the previous year, 1988. However, it didn't happen because one of the guys that were involved in this particular fight, let's just say, had a little bit of a a coloured life outside of the ring. Got himself in a little bit of a bother. I think he had a bit of a a GBH altercation outside of the ring and therefore he wouldn't be granted um, a visa in the UK and therefore it it had to be shifted. I'm, of course, referring to Iron Mike Tyson. In the 80s, mate, Boxing was Iron Mike Tyson. That's all it was. He was the yeah. boy, wasn't he? He was the main man. And he, ca- exactly. he captured the imagination of anybody. Now, yep. if you were around at that time and you were a fight fan at that time... That was supposed to be Wembley Stadium as well. The first fight was supposed to be at Wembley Stadium. That's what I just nice, said. Nicely dovetails with this weekend. That's I didn't what, know you say Wembley, sorry. Yeah. No, um, I think it was in October it was originally uh, scheduled yep. for. Uh, but yep. then, obviously, Tyson has a little bit of a fight and therefore he couldn't get a visa and therefore that fight was pulled. And therefore it was shifted over to Viva Las Vegas. Sensational stuff. Okay? So he's taking on our boy. Now, at that time... Frank Bruno was the darling of British boxing. You know what I mean, Harry. You know what I mean? It was all that. Everybody loved Frank because he seemed such a lovely fella. And yeah, he had this sensational knockout power. Was he the greatest boxer ever to walk the planet? No, he was a guy that 
um, was the Neely man in later life. But this was his first attempt. This was his, his chance at becoming the heavyweight champion of the world. And he was taking on the boy, the main man, the man that was 35 and oh. Frank's record, I think, at the time was 32 and 2. The belts that were on the line was the WBA, the WBC, the IBF, and... The lineal belt, the one that Tyson Fury has, the Ring Magazine belt, that was on the line because when one and two meet, the Ring Magazine get involved. Frank was number two at the time and they met for this fantastic showdown at, uh, at, uh, in Las Vegas on the 25th of February. Do you remember this? Do you remember this fight? Yeah, I do actually, yeah. It's, um, <clears throat> um, I, I can't try, obviously, I can't remember whether I watched it live or not, but I've, I've, I've obviously remember watching this fight. Um, well, from my point of view, right, my dad... I remember it was off and on and off and on. It got moved, didn't it, more than once. I think it was supposed to be in, in London, and yep. obviously Tyson couldn't make it. Then it was made for Vegas, and then it got moved back again. I don't know why it got moved back a second time. If it, I'm sure it was supposed to be January, and it got moved back to February. Um, probably money issues, no one Tyson. The reason why this is it was so off prominent, and on and off and on. The reason why it's so prominent with me, right, is because when it was made for Wembley, my dad and my uncle got tickets for it. And they were they were going to this particular fight, and then obviously it got pulled because of Titans uh, Titans uh, misdemeanor. All right, yeah. So therefore, this fight was shifted to the states, and as we all know now, there's a time difference. Yeah. So therefore, we we were watching this in the early hours of a Sunday morning when these guys were going toe to toe uh, on February twenty fifth, nineteen eighty nine. Now, nineteen eighty nine. I've told you what age I'm at. I was eight years of age at this at the, for this particular fight. My mum had arranged to go out with um, uh, friends on this particular night. There was not a cat in hell's chance that my dad was missing it. At the time, we didn't have a pot to piss in. We didn't have Sky. We didn't have Sky Box Office. We didn't have it at that time. But my uncle did. So my dad, against my mum's wishes, got me out of bed, because he couldn't leave me in the house by myself and he couldn't get a babysitter, got me and my sister out of bed, shipped us over to my uncle's, my sister, obviously, was then thrown upstairs in bed. She went to sleep because she was only, I think, four at the time. And I couldn't yes. get back to sleep. So my dad allowed me to stay up. I mean, this was a major thing. Like, four or five o'clock in the morning, you're staying up. Your dad's there. Your uncle's there. They're watching the fight. And I'm glued into this. And that's the first time, really, that I, I, that I, I was captivated by boxing. Mainly because... It's heavyweights. I think there's something yeah. extremely romantic about the heavyweights when the big boys go back in, go back to it. Las Vegas, there was, there's obviously the MGM Grand, there's something quite unbelievable uh, about um, the, the big fights at Las Vegas. In fact, I think this was actually at the Hilton, the, a later fight that we're going to talk about was at the uh, MGM Grand, but there's something quite romantic about it. The Las Vegas, Nevada, Hilton, you know what I mean? There's something quite major about that, the, the ring announcement, everything about it, the glitz and glamour, the people that were in the in the arena. I found it amazing as an eight-year-old and that, for me, is the moment that I can pinpoint and go to myself, that's when I fell in love with boxing. All right, it didn't go well for Frank, but that's the moment that you go, yeah, mate, that was unbelievable. Yeah. Well, that was Tyson. That was terrifying best, wasn't it, around that era as well? You know, he was absolutely clinical. And if I remember rightly, didn't Bruno get stopped on his feet? Big fight didn't, big yeah. Frank didn't go down. No. Nope. But uh, he was getting absolutely hammered everywhere with hooks to the body and then I think he finished him with an uppercut and a left hook. Um, amazing performance from Tyson but as you say that was Tyson at his very best and um, yeah, man, one of the best performances probably one of the best performances of his of his 
incredibly chilling career well, also. If you watch it, I advise anybody now listening to this podcast, we might be capturing your imagination. You can probably get it on YouTube. Yo, yo, mate, you can. So and I've watched can. it so many times because it does rekindle my memories, right? Basically, Tyson comes out like a fucking racehorse, right? First round, he comes out and he's smashing Frank all over the gaff. Frank sticks in there for the first round, but if he, at the end of the second round, I don't care what anybody says, at the end of the second round, Bruno puts a little bit of a combination together and he catches Tyson. And to my knowledge, obviously at that time I didn't know this, but going back now as a historian and looking at this, this is the first time that anybody had ever seen Mike Tyson in any shape, uh, trouble whatsoever, in any fight, 35 and all, like I said right at the start of this. And, and Bruno did catch him. And I just remember that moment at home where obviously my dad and my uncle were a lot more knowledgeable than me at that particular time. And I remember him getting, just jumping out the seats a little bit, thinking, bloody hell, he's going to do it. You know what I mean? That, that yeah. moment where, you, where hope becomes belief and you think, he's going to do it. Obviously, it didn't materialise because the bell went, Tyson sat down, regained his composure, came out three, four, and smashed him up. And five, he was stopped on his feet. And that was the end of the fight. But I just remember those little moments in fights where you've got the underdog. It's like, for me now of modern times, I know this is not heavyweights, Ricky Hatton would be that guy when you're talking about him going to fight Mayweather or going to fight Pacquiao. When he stagger, when he, when he, when he stuns Mayweather in that fight, you're up, yeah. you're on your seat, you're thinking to yourself, oh, go second, on, Ricky, lad. I think it's going to happen. Exactly. It doesn't happen. But that was that moment, and back in 1989, that was that moment for Frank Bruno, without any shadow of a doubt. And that was the um, the build-up to Bruno, obviously all the problems that Tyson had. That was really the first sign of the cracks as well. That was mm. the first sign we'd, we'd kind of envisaged that this unstoppable beast of a man um, had serious issues away from the ring as well, you know, all those issues with the reason that the fight didn't happen in London and everything else. That's when the cracks started the show. Well, I, I think, think he only had a fight or two after that before he ran into Buster Douglas That's in, it. in yeah, Japan. Yeah. That's it, and yeah. That was obviously, uh, you know, when he became, suddenly be, Tyson became mortal. But at that point, when he when he tore through Bruno, fresh after beating Larry Holmes and Tony Tubbs, Michael Spinks, that was, that was Tyson. And his destructive, most volatile best. You know, he was sensational at that time. Bruno does the slightest thing good. The crowd here really roars. This place seats about eight or 9,000 here at the Hill Hotel. Bruno was caught that time, and Tyson knows it. Tyson trying to attack now to finish him off. Bruno has the wherewithal to hang on. The uppercut comes. Tyson gives him room to come off the ropes. Scores with the uppercut. Lancer, big right hand. Bruno's in big trouble now. He's ready to go. He hits him with the right hand. Bruno trying to hang on as best he can. He's still in big trouble. The uppercut catches him. The right hand catches him. He's really being hit now. Blood coming from the nose. His eyes are puffy. Tyson is punishing Frank Bruno right now. Bruno tries to hang on. Probably what he should do is get down to his knee and take an eight count instead of letting this guy nail him with a flush right hand. This is round five. Remember, a fighter cannot be saved by the bell as the big right hand lands. Tyson knows he's got him in big trouble. If he doesn't answer it, Richard Steele has moved in and has stopped the fight. It's all over. Michael Tyson wins on a fifth round. TKO. You're listening to the Fight Disciples podcast. Good one. I love I love that fight, and um, I can see why you've picked that out. My first one, my first real, genuine memory of watching a fight live. Um, that that will always stick with me. Uh, probably because at the time I was still a pretty young guy. 
And uh, at that time, I was obsessed with football. You know, I loved boxing, I loved watching boxing, but obviously I played football, eat, slept and drip football and was still at that point dreaming of captain Liverpool rather than winning a <laughs> ring magazine belt at any point so um and it was it was November 1993 November the 6th 1993 now anyone any boxing historians will straight away go I remember that fight for this specific reason and crazy thing is it wasn't necessarily because of the action that went on inside the ring it was more the complete fiasco that went on around it. I am, of course, talking about Holyfield versus Bo. Uh, their second fight went mm. fan man. Remember the infamous fan man? Yeah, man. The guy that flew in into the stadium. It was uh, it was at Caesar's Palace in in Nevada, but then it was a it was an open air stadium outside and everything else. And and this guy came in. I think it was end of mid, midway through round seven or round six. Mm. Uh, the fight's going on. You know, the, the heavyweight belts on the line. The, the lineal heavyweight championship. All the belts. You know, similar to the Tyson Bruno thing. You know, it was a, it was a huge fight. The world was watching. And next thing you know, we get mid round, midway through the fight. Fight's just warming up. You know, we're, you know, we're seeing Holyfield on top in the round, and and then suddenly this guy with a giant fan strapped to his back on a parachute just comes from nowhere and lands on the ropes it was mm. the most crazy bizarre thing I've ever seen I just remember watching that and it always stuck in my mind I was just like what the hell is going on complete pandemonium obviously at ringside at this point I think about 50 stewards or security guards jumped on the guy and it funny afterwards they, they'd said that the fight itself went the distance you know and uh, but on the night it was like the, it was like the only person that got knocked out in that fight was the fan man who mm. was just like knocked out cold by the security guards it was completely and utterly bonkers do you remember it do you remember I when remember. it came in yeah well that was around you said 1993 right so this is around the time when the Premier League in, in football in terms of just started yeah Yeah. so I remember being like exactly what you just said there being more interested in the world of football because this new thing had just kicked off here and Blackburn Rovers my team were actually quite decent we just signed this kid called Alan Shearer you might remember him um, so I was right into that so I remember this particular fight and it's because of fan man, of course it is. But yeah. my, my dad was a huge fight fan and he loved all the stuff from Vegas. And this is how I get into the world of, of boxing, I suppose. Um, and the old Betamax, he had the old Betamax and he taped it because obviously it's a Vegas fight. He taped it. And I remember getting up Sunday morning and going off me editing because I'd taped Match of the Day from the night before. <laughs> so I've taped Match of the Day and I'm thinking, Dad, I've got up because I was playing footy at the time as a young kid. You've got your under-11s or your under-12s game or whatever it is and I'm waiting yeah. to go to footy but I wanted to watch Match of the Day the night before. So I said, Dad, I want to watch Match of the Day. He goes, forget Match of the Day. You need to watch this. Check this out, right? Yeah. So my dad had got up early before me to watch the fight. And he's got, he's, got, he's got it in, and he's got it at the moment, because there was a delay. I think it was about 21 minutes now. It's gone on record, hasn't it? Yeah, yeah, 20 was, minutes, yeah. That there was a delay during that uh, round seven, as you've just pointed out there. And I'm watching it. I said, what's this all about? What, what are you watching? I didn't even know what he was watching at the time. Yeah. And I remember like this guy getting caught up in the ropes, and he, he, my dad rewound it back, and the fight was going on. And then the, he, he, he was called James um, Fanman Miller, weren't he, this kid? Yeah. And he's come flying in, like you say, and he's, he's got himself caught up in the ropes and what have you. I'm thinking, what the the fuck is going on here and it was captivating yeah, i remember it mental. just being absolutely captivating obviously as an older guy i've gone back and watched the fight yeah i was amazed because i i remember fan man but i can't remember him then continuing the fight i can't remember it at that particular time it's only yeah. in hindsight that i've gone back and remember, oh shit yeah they did who, carry did, on. who did actually win that yeah fight, who yeah. did actually win it's that bonkers fight. to think they spent 20 minutes mm. just 
in, on opposite sides of the ring while this thing got sorted out and the guy got removed and you know people were ripping down parts of the parachute and keeping his mementos years later they were for sale in all these <laughs> shops and everything else and that fan man he actually went on he, he actually did a couple of American football games I think he did he was the guy that came in Bolton Wonders versus Arsenal the FA Cup game a couple of years later and he was the guy that landed on top of Buckingham Palace this was his thing like this his thing was being this fan man for many years mm. but in the end it, it, you know it's quite tragic he ended up getting quite you know uh, quite vilified for it the whole of the American kind of popular culture turned on him and uh, he ended up fl- fleeing to Alaska and, mm. and was living out in the wilderness in Alaska apparently and then you know suddenly there was a, a couple of walkers were up there and they, they found this dead body and it was only I think I think his death was reported in America, uh, just in Alaska, and no one really picked up on it. And it was only when ESPN revisited it like twenty years later, so it must be like twenty twenty five years ago now. But they went back like twenty years. Where is fan man? Let's go and find them. And they found out that he tragically hung himself wow. out in the wilderness, and you know he had this weird kind of crazy life. But for that moment, the whole world was just completely engaged. And if you weren't watching it live then you better believe everybody. You know, imagine if that happened today. Imagine if that happened at Wembley on Saturday with don't, today's technology, don't. with social media, with everything else. That would literally break, it would literally break the internet yeah, if that happened on Saturday because it would be everywhere. It'd be everyone's phones. It'd be on everyone's social media. It would be absolutely bonkers. And the, In fact, you know what? The only person that could do it, the only person that could be fan man, Conor McGregor. <laughs> I thought you were going to say Shannon Briggs. <laughs> yes, Shannon the Cannon, yeah. Shannon the Cannon. Brilliant. Mm. Fucking, let's not put ideas in Shannon Briggs' head, man, because you know what he's like? He's, he's, he's Sailing into Wembley. He'd probably, he'd probably do it. Let's go, champ. Sailing in. <laughs> that would be amazing. Holyfield won, by the way, just for those that are interested in not who actually won that Nobody fight. cares. No, genuinely, nobody cares, because no. that moment was the fan man moment, which, mm. of course, years later was on was in The Simpsons. They did an episode yeah. where fan man came in when Holland was doing it and everything else. Crazy. The first fight, by the way, between them, what a fight that is. Yeah, sensational. Which obviously sets up Fan Man. So there you go. Yeah, yeah. Because they were so good first time round, Fan Man got his opportunity. Someone is still... And somebody in a parachute has just landed on the edge of the ring, has been pulled away by security guards. The fight has been brought to a halt. There's a massive melee at ringside. As this fellow with a motorized parachute has landed right on top of spectators and officials at ringside. He's in the midst of a mass of security guards now. Rock Newman, Riddick Bowe's manager, was right there. This is a monumental disaster. Right now, police are filing by me at ringside and grabbing this gentleman who has created a monstrosity of an interruption in the bout. His parachute has caught itself up on a row of ring lights. Now we're going to take a look at an earlier shot of the parachutist before he came down. There he was on the left of the ring. And let's see what happened as he approached ringside. Right on top of a variety of people. 
Well, this is the most bizarre thing I've ever seen at a prize fight. And I've seen a few the things so dangerous things. about this. It wasn't only a parachute. He's got some motorized exactly. Thing on there. It, it's a heavy up a lot of people. It's a heavy capsule under that parachute with a motorized attachment. There could have been a propeller there for all we know, George. And if nobody has been hurt, it will be a near miracle. You're listening to the Fight Disciples podcast. Big heavyweight event number three. Now, we've gone back and forth before we started recording this show as to what we're going to include uh, in this. I think the first two fights that we've just talked about are prominent to ourselves. Um, Like I said, the one that got me into boxing with uh, Bruno versus Tyson. You've just mentioned Holyfield Bore 2, which was obviously famous because of Fan Man. These events, the ones that build and build and build and build and then live up to the expectation or create some type of emotion and what we're trying to uh, talk about. Um, now, number three is um, kind of a little bit of the first fight that we just talked about, a little bit of the second fight uh, that we've just been talking about. Um, a little bit of everything. A little bit of everything. And bringing it together. And the way that this finishes is absolutely bonkers. You mentioned Fan Man, right? And the way that I um, watched Fan Man that Sunday morning um, after my dad had taped it, this was a similar thing. This, this, what we're about to talk about, is a similar thing because we're going to go to 1997 is where we're going to go and we're going to the 28th of June. Seven yeah. months previous, Tyson versus Holyfield had happened after so much deliberation, after so much going back and forth, after so much fights not happening, it's on, it's not on, it's here we go, you should have fought me before Buster Douglas, all these types of things, yeah? It eventually happens, they fight and Evander, the real deal Holyfield, just put some manners on Tyson. I mean, that was the night, the first fight this is, that Holyfield, for me, everybody goes, shit. Yeah. Yes, he was a cruiserweight. He's not a pumped-up cruiserweight. This guy is legit. He's gone up to the top boys. He's gone up to the heavyweight. And now look at him. He's taking on the guy that we all think is the daddy, Ty, uh, Mike Tyson. And he's and he's, and he's done him. He stopped him uh, in 11 rounds. So therefore, that then sets up part two. Everybody wants to see part two because they love part one so much. MGM, Grand Garden Arena. Like I said, Saturday, 28th of June, 1997. It only lasts, well, it doesn't even last three rounds. Yeah. And it doesn't last three rounds because of one of the most bizarre endings to a fight. If you thought Fan Man was bizarre, yeah? This is even more bizarre because this is, the, this is the biting incident. This is what we yeah. all now know uh, as the biting incident. And there's obviously a lot of unrest pre-fight when, any Mike, when Mike Tyson's involved in anything. And even Evander Holyfield, a man that is renowned for being extremely religious and quite calm and cool and collected, he was getting involved as well. There's a lot of nastiness building into this particular fight. When the fight starts, I think it's quite evident that even though it's only seven months after the first fight, Tyson's still heavily affected by the way that Evander Holyfield dealt with him in that first fight. And he just doesn't start. He doesn't start the fight, man. It's really, really weird. Evander's jabs there. He's smashing the living daylights out of him. Um, And I think there's an incident in round two where there's a coming together of heads. And if you watch it, I mean, I've watched it a couple of times on YouTube now. Okay, he leads with the head, does Evander Holyfield? He does. And he opens up a cut over Mike Tyson's... I think it's his right eye, and he, and yeah. he, sp- he splits and he just him completely loses it. He does. He absolutely loses the plot. He's complaining to the referee. He's shouting at his corner. He absolutely loses his mind as Mike Tyson. And it's fascinating to watch then how the next three and a half minutes unravel because he thinks to himself, I'm getting a hard deal here. The referee's not on my side. That's a blatant headbutt. He lost his mind, and he thinks to himself, well, if you're going to fight there, I'm going to fight there. And he bites him, Evander complains, the referee does nothing about it, he bites him again, 
Evander complains. Referee does nothing about it. So Mike thinks to himself, I'm getting away with murder here, man. So I'm obviously winding him up. I'm getting inside his head. I'm going to do it again. Only thing is, the third time he does it, he goes a little bit too far and bites his fucking ear off and then spits it onto the canvas. It was just the most savage, most brutal thing that I've ever seen in a boxing ring. It was just ridiculous. And I know that there's lots of people that go... Oh, boxing savage! All the all the people that want to complain about boxing, Mike Tyson gave them the perfect uh, moment to do it right at that right at that time. It, of course, he did, yeah. And the the reason it was such a big thing, you know, this was another one of those fights where the world stopped and looked at the boxing ring, you know, yeah. because it was such an epic fight. You know, obviously, it was a rematch on the back of the fact that, you know. Uh, six months or nine months previous, seven months previous, whatever it was when he'd fought at the MGM. It was the first fight with Tyson. Obviously, Tyson went into it as a massive favourite. Holyfield had proved himself as a heavyweight because he'd been in with... He'd had three fights with Riddick Bowe, one of which he'd won, the third one of which he'd lost. Obviously, it ties us nicely in with Fan Man Mm. because obviously Fan Man was the the Riddick Bowe fight, uh, the second Riddick Bowe fight. They had the third Riddick Bow fight and he lost that fight. He was he was stopped by Bow and he retired then. So he come back with a quick win, went straight into a fight with Mike Tyson. Nobody gave him a chance. Hollyfield turned it on and w- wins that fight by uh, the first fight with Tyson with a very late stoppage. So coming into this fight, it was like, okay, we're going to see the real Mike Tyson now. Tyson is back. Tyson's going to savage him. Tyson's going to destroy him. And you're right. As soon as the fight started, it was all Evander Holyfield, just like it, just like he'd finished the first fight. Mm. And uh, I think that's just what got in Tyson's head and the headbutt that it just kind of it was the straw that broke the camel's back, and he just completely and utterly lost the plot. And from that moment, kind of like the first fight where he, where, he, where the stoppage late on. Tyson, from the first round, I think, was looking for an out. And as soon as that headbutt come in, that gave him the perfect opportunity because his mind obviously wasn't in any kind of normal state at the time, as we know. It just, He just snapped. He completely lost the plot. He was chomping away, like literally chomping away at Evander's heel. And when he actually spat it onto the floor, I'll yeah, never man. forget it. I was just like, holy Fuck show! What the hell is going on? Like, how wh- how do you deal with this now? Like, what what what? It was just insane. Well, if insane. you remember, and you're right, it was the most brutal, probably the most brutal thing I've ever seen in a boxing ring. If you remember, the fight wasn't stopped. Do you, do you, no, no, because yeah, exactly. he, he bit him, spat it out, and obviously he complained about it. And I think Tyson. If, I, if my memory serves me correctly, I think he actually said to the referee, yeah, it's because of a punch. He basically says that he punched his ear off in, <laughs> during, the, during the fight. And it's only at the end of the, when, when the when the round finishes and you go back and you see the, the, the severity of the damage on Evander Holyfield's ear. That yeah. is when the referee then says to himself, well, hang on a minute, for your own safety, mate, I don't know what this clown's going to do. And it's after the second bite, because he bites him again after that. Yeah, you know, and it's at that moment where the referee goes, "Okay, this is far too much. We're going to stop this. This is ridiculous," and he disqualifies Mike Tyson because there was a lot of chat going back and forth with Evander as to saying, "Do you want to carry on? Do you want to get yourself back in there? Do you want to do it?" Evander's obviously saying, "Yeah, I'll fucking fight him. The guy just bit me here. I want to put some manners on the guy." Yeah, yeah. but it was a. Uh, the, the state commission and the referee between themselves then, listen, we can't send him back. Mike's wired. Look at him. Look at his eyes. He's all over he's the place. Gone. We don't uh, know what he's going to do. He spat his gum shield out, didn't he? Yeah. He spat his gum shield out to bite his ear. And if you remember, Holyfield's just completely and utterly freaking out. And Tyson's just winging away with these massive punches. And then when he gets up close, it's just like, chomp, 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 chomp. <laughs> chomping away at his ear. The crazy thing is, the guy, the, the, funny you should mention the supervisor there. You know who the inspector was on the night? Like the, the, the lead inspector for the Nevada State Athletic Commission at that fight on that night. Mm. 
was Mark Ratner, who's currently the wow. UFC's head of re- regulator yeah, affairs, yeah, yeah. the main guy at the UFC. It was Mark Ratner's show. He dealt with that. He was the supervisor in charge. Crazy. Absolutely crazy. Miles Lane, of course, you know, the legendary referee. He was the other man in the middle, but... Uh, that that whole thing was just when you when you think about it now and you look back at that as a moment in time in a moment in sports history it was another one of those fan man moments which just crossed over to the mainstream one of those moments that again if it was to happen on saturday something like that it would in today's society with social media the way it is it would just be absolutely enormous and it's crazy to think that tyson was ever allowed to box again Imagine if that happened now. The PC Brigade would have an absolute field day. It would be insane. We'd be talking about boxing matches and the, and the, the gum shields have to be glued in or something to make sure it doesn't happen again. It's just That was Tyson. We spoke earlier about Tyson against Bruno. Was Tyson at his peak? This was Tyson when he was on a fast track down the mountain and he just completely yeah, lost the plot. In the first fight. Second time, and it is all out. 
saw that one. That was right clear. It's a miracle he didn't get bit back. I'll tell you what, this is unbelievable. Okay, fight number four uh, that that we're picking out, and you know, mate, if you thought three was mental, four's crazy. Fucking hell, this was just, and unfortunately, you know, it involves the same guy, Tyson. It involves another case of him letting his chompers go, Luis Suarez style, and uh, that was the time when he bit a chunk out of, or at least attempted to bite a chump out of Lennox Lewis's leg. Wow. Absolutely insane. I think it cost him in hindsight. I think it cost him like three hundred grand or half a million dollars or something, which he had to pay. But if you remember, that was the moment when, and basically, they were on stage in New York. It was to publicise the fight that was supposed to be happening in Las Vegas. Again, it was for the lineal heavyweight championship. Yeah, it'd been talked about forever and a day, hadn't it? We'd been talking about it for years that Lennox is going to fight Tyson, and it was on and off and on and off and on and off. Finally, it was on. We had that iconic poster with the as on is on. Sorry, at the end of the names. Yeah, Lewis and Tyson. The whole thing. It was finally happening. You know, the, the, every celebrity in the world was there. If you look at the, the the press list afterwards, it was just insane. Like celebrity, a list celebrities, like three deep. Donald Trump was there. In, you know what I mean? It was just like in, Britney Spears, Donald Trump, Tom Cruise. That's like the that their, their third row. Never mind front row. That's how insane it was. But the, it will always be remembered. The fight itself, the build up, of course was the brawl that they had in New York. If you remember, they were in a blackened room in New York. They lit up two little podiums, two little stages, either side of the stage. And the spotlight came on and there was Lennox looking all majestic and beautiful. And then the other spotlight came on and there was the savage Tyson. And they were eyeballing each other. And they must have been 20 feet apart at least. And they're standing there eyeballing one another. And suddenly... Mike snaps and disappears into the darkness. You just see him step off his white po- his white light into the darkness and you just think... Uh, where's Mike going? <laughs> and then suddenly you see Lennox kind of leaning back, ready for it. And then out of nowhere into into Lennox's white light, you just see Mike's whoosh, a big right hand coming in, and, and the bro- and you just think, what the fuck is going on? It's mad. It was insane. And then in the, the, obviously the fallout of that was that Tyson 
was accused of biting Lennox's leg, and uh, the WBC had a big issue with it and stuff, and they put a they put a lawsuit down on there and all kinds going on and then if you remember it was all getting kind of pulled apart I think Lennox got took off stage but Tyson and his crew were still on stage and then that was the famous moment when Tyson then turned on the media when he said he's put that guy in the ass yeah I'm just my fucking guys in the ass yeah, and yeah. put p- punk white boy and calling yeah, people he was, faggots he went, oh mate you went big time didn't he he just completely and utterly lost the plot and uh, you know that was the in 2002, that was just like the moment when heavyweight boxing again just kind of took over the world. And, and you know, we hadn't even got to the fight at that point. No. Yeah, that's a move to fight, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, Vegas, um, the guys in Vegas, uh, the, the state commission, wouldn't grant a license for Mike Tyson to fight in, in the state. So therefore, it had to be moved from Las Vegas because that's where it was originally built because that's where all the big fights were at that particular time. Uh, yeah. it, didn't, it didn't go to New York because obviously with what happened in New York, they said, well, we can't sanction it. Hence, it going to Memphis. Memphis won... Um, they like they went up into like a what you would class as a purse bid, I suppose, and I think they bid something ridiculous, like serious, serious money. I think both men got weighed in for about twenty million each on yeah. the, on the fight, but it ended up being uh, in the pyramid uh, in Memphis, Tennessee. Sensational, mate. I mean, a fight like this being in Memphis and not in Vegas or or New York, it, 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 it fathom it just baffles me. But there's obviously reasons behind it because this clown just went absolutely. Bat shit crazy, man. I'm doing, it's quite good that you brought it. this one up. It's quite good that you've picked this one because we've been saying all week with AJ versus Klitschko at the weekend in yep. at Wembley. That's yep. the, this is the third time that HBO and Showtime have ever really shared license over in the States. The first time that they ever did it was for this, for this yep. fight, for Mike Tyson versus Lennox Lewis. This is the first time that HBO and Showtime both had the rights to show the the fight. It's happened, obviously, again, since with Mayweather versus Pacquiao. But that just proves how big this particular thing was at the time. The fight itself was huge, and they'd already bought into it at HBO and, and, and Showtime. But then when you get a press conference like what you've just been describing in New York City, shit the bed. It went absolutely crazy, mate. Absolutely <laughs> Unbelievable. When you're talking about money that is generated in the fight game, and we, we spoke to Tony about this earlier on in the week regarding when people turn professional, if your eyes are on the money prize, then you, you're thinking about it all wrong because there's no money right at the start of the game. But as you get to the top, when you get to this level that we're talking about now, Mike Tyson, Lennox Lewis, for the heavyweight, for the undisputed heavyweight championship of the world, yeah. there is serious, serious cash involved with this this was the highest grossing event in pay-per-view history to the point there's ones that have beaten it since i'll get to them in a minute but up to that point this was the highest um grossing event in pay-per-view history generating 107 million dollars um from 1.9 million buys in the united states alone um it was surpassed by Oscar De La Hoya versus Mayweather in 2007, which I'm sure is well documented now. And obviously Mayweather versus Canelo surpassed that. That's, And then obviously we now know that um, um, Mayweather Pacquiao smashed that with about 4.6 million buys or something ridiculous, didn't it, over in the States. But at the time, this this was the, this was the one. And this is, the, again, a thing that caught everybody's imagination worldwide. You were mentioning there people that were ringside that went to the fight, yeah. that Hollywood A-list. When we go back in the day when Ali was fighting, you talk about your Frank Sinatra's and stuff like that. This had Samuel L. Jackson, Denzel Washington, Tom Cruise. You mentioned Britney Spears' name earlier on. Yeah, Even the likes that. of The Undertaker 
from uh, yeah. WWE, right, or WWF as it was at the time. He is it was, there. It was huge. It was absolutely phenomenally huge. And um, it was just the manner of the performance from Lennox. And that was the other reason why I wanted to bring it up as well. He talked about this fight for so long. He talked about Tyson turning back. Well, how do you stay calm? That is, the guy's so just bit, the guy just bit you in the press conference. How do you stay calm and put on the performance that you put on? It was sensational. Easy, you just bang on like Lennox used to. You bang on a bit of Bob Marley. <laughs> you strut your way out there. You don't let yourself get drawn into his kind of fight. Mate. And it was absolutely sensational. And, you know, another reason why I wanted to... I was happy to pick this fight out is because... Man, you know, listen. Psychologically, I know that Tyson at this time, compared to our own Anthony Joshua is a completely different animal and a different beast. Tyson was, you know, he was already very much a broken man when this fight happened, let's be honest. But he was still that dangerous early on. And Lennox approached the fight so clinically. He approached the fight, as you say, he didn't get sucked into the biting incident. He didn't get sucked into all the press stuff. He kept his mind straight. He knew he had the job to do. He knew he would have to take this fight at some stage in his career. It probably came later than he expected. But when it did happen, he knew he would just have to be patient, tame the beast, that he would use his height and his, his reach advantage. And he bullied Tyson. And he bullied him for seven rounds. He broke Tyson down. And then when the opportunity came in the eighth, he, he clinically finished him with that big right hand. I think he, he, he almost dropped him. He had a standing count and then he finished him with a big right hand or whatever and that was it. it was just like completely game over and the reason why I want to mention that is because it's kind of given me shades of where my thoughts are thinking for Saturday you know I think AJ like everybody I know AJ is going to be super dangerous for four or five rounds and from a British fight fan perspective and you know what for the for the fucking good of heavyweight boxing in general, I hope AJ gets the job done. I think the Klitschko era is finished now, mm. hopefully. You know, it was from a technical perspective, the Klitschko era, it, 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 you know, it defined that moment in heavyweight boxing. And whether you loved it or you hate it, it makes no difference. It's done now, it's in the history books. What, what I'm hoping Saturday is the next chapter, the next generation, and one of our own, well, hopefully two of our own, when Tyson comes back, Tyson Fury, they're, they're going to drive it forward now. We're going to be centered of the heavyweight boxing universe that's what i hope 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 however this fight gives me shades of what i'm fearing might happen at the weekend i think aj is so dangerous early on yet if klitschko can can stifle the fight can can put him on the end of a jab can stay away from those big shots can use his incredible footwork tony bellew told us about if he can take this fight past six rounds and aj starts slowing then big muscles start sucking up and start tiring and he starts getting weak I think we could see Klitschko land a finish, a finish similar to this, a big right hand to end the show. That's what I've kind of got in the back of my head. An eighth round as well. This is the eighth round where on Tuesday's show with Tony Bellew, I said, I think Klitschko could stop him in the eighth round. When I was watching, when we were talking about doing this show today and I was looking through the history books and I was like, oh, fucking hell, that's the fight. And the eighth round, it, it's just got so many shades now. I think it's, this is me mystic Nick moment where I'm like, fuck, I hope I'm not predicting Saturday night by picking this fight. Interesting fact from that night, by the way. Um, Manny Pacquiao became the IBF junior featherweight champion of the world on the undercard. Wow, really? Yeah, yeah. Insane. Crackers, isn't it? Um, you just mentioned that knockout, and it was voted Ring Magazine Knockout of the Year in 2002. It was yeah. sensational. If you haven't seen it, go and Google it, go and YouTube it. However, I think, we're, I think we need to have a little bit of a listen to it. Mike Tyson with one minute left in the eighth round. 
Mike Tyson highly motivated to come into this fight, hoping that this fight would redeem his, not only his career, but his whole life. Oh, he's doing a good job. He's got heart. Now, he's you can't take that from him. should be able to, there's no one in the world can take that from Lennox Lewis now. He is no doubt the best heavyweight of all time. What he's done clearly puts him on top of the heat. This is the Fight Disciples podcast. Subscribe now via the iTunes store. Uh, the final fight that me and Nick have decided to talk about um, on today's show as we build up towards AJ Klitschko involves uh, the latter. Um that is involved at the weekend, Vladimir Klitschko. And I just want to reiterate once again, these are fights that me and Nick have picked through our own life. I mean, there'll be people listening, as I said right at the start of the show, that are older than us and therefore remember stuff that happened in the early 80s or the 70s, Ali, yeah. Foreman, all these types of fights. That, that Listen, we've watched them, but we've watched yeah. them on tape. We weren't there. We didn't listen to it at, live at the time. We are referring to five fights that captured our imagination live. We either watched it yeah. at home or we were at ringside. We saw it. Everything about the build-up, we got sucked into it, and we lived through those moments. I totally appreciate there's other fights out there that are greater than the ones that we are talking about, yeah. of course. Well I, well, I was arguing with you, wasn't I, before the show? I was like, listen, I was in, you know, I've got a whole story about Lennox Lewis versus David Tua, where I was in the Nakatomi building yeah, yeah. in LA at the time when I was travelling around the world. I watched the fight with all these incredible celebrities, Nick Nolte and everything else. It was insane, mm. and it will ever, forever stick with me as one of the most seminal heavyweight fights in history. Yep. However, it wasn't a global event. These are global events that were also heavyweight title fights that we remember in our lifetime. And that brings us perfectly through to, we couldn't have left him out, could he, Tyson Fury? He we had can't. to be in there. We can't leave him out, mate, because there was something quite special about this. I think everybody that is listening to this show is, would probably remember this because it's obviously the most recent that we're talking about. Uh, 28th of November 2015, when Tyson Fury upset the world and ended the reign of Vladimir Klitschko. Um, it wasn't just fight night because I remember it so well. It wasn't just fight night. It was everything about it. And I was covering this. I spoke to Tyson several occasions as we built up towards the fight. We were talking about his preparation. I went to his camp. All sorts of random things happened in the build-up to this fight. And then, obviously, he goes over to Germany and does what he did. If you remember, in fight week, there was a comp- the fight might have been off because of the complaint about the, the ring. The ring. And, yeah. the, and the canvas. And they needed to take the form out of the canvas. There was loads of little bits that added to this. I think the first bit, of course, that we want to talk about is Batman. <laughs> Fucking amazing. Absolutely amazing. And this is the thing that we've been talking about all week regarding AJ Klitschko, yeah. Yes, there's respect there, and it's very gentlemanly. and Cool. If that's your thing, that's cool. But Klitschko's made a life out of that. That's what he is comfortable with. He feels good at doing that. Now, no disrespect to Tyson Fury. Yeah, he doesn't look sometimes the greatest when he's in the ring, and yeah, he does things very unconventionally. But he gets the job done, and he got the job done this night two, three, four weeks previous to the actual actual fight, he'd already won the fight because he'd... Big time. Because he got inside Vladimir Klitschko's head, whether it's turning up as Batman, whether it's not turning up at all, whether it's complaining about the ring, whether it's kicking off here, kicking off there, it doesn't matter. He got inside Vladimir Klitschko's head and he did a job on him that night because he boxed very 
unusually compared to the traditional Klitschko opponent. He didn't come forward. He got on his toes. He went on his back foot. He pot-shotted him and he outboxed him. That's plain and simple. That happened on that night and he became the undisputed heavyweight champion of the world. The Batman moment was fucking absolutely jet brilliant. Can you remember it? Like, Can you remember when it happened? Brilliant. Because it just because we that happened in a in a moment of social media. We lived it. The other previous yeah, yeah. fights that we've talked about, obviously the ones in the eighties, the nineties, early two thousand and two. There wasn't Twitter. You know what I mean? No. This just went crazy, mate. It went absolutely crazy. I was there because if you remember, our mate Gareth uh, A. Davis was also there, and Tyson had a go at him. Tyson had a go at our mate Gareth during the fight, calling him, I can't remember the nickname he gave him, but he gave him some like proper, it was hilarious, everybody was pissing themselves. But I remember just scrolling through my feed, constantly through it, and it was everywhere. Everybody, not necessarily boxing people, everybody was talking about it, going, whether it were uh, positive or negative, derogatory towards Tyson, look what's happening, look what's happening, look what's happening. It was everywhere at that moment. It was it was just crazy. The, the, from the, I just remember I wasn't live at the press conference, but I just remember watching the footage and seeing him pull up in that yellow banana, yellow Lamborghini, <laughs> and then stepping out dressed as Batman, but running like, like Batman. He ran like what, Batman as well. What the fuck is he doing? And then obviously the press conference starts, and he he was kind of refusing to engage with Klitschko. He let Klitschko have his big speech and everything else, and he wasn't really saying too much. And then when when it, <laughs> Klitschko was mid flow. And when his mate ran in dressed as the Joker, I was just like, this cannot be real. This cannot be happening. And you're right, it just completely and utterly destabilised Klitschko. You know, if you if you ever watch that footage back and you watch uh, you watch Tyson rolling around on the floor with his mate and they're both dressed up and they're screaming and shouting at each other and they knock the fucking the world heavyweight belts all over the floor and everything else. If you watch it... The the panel, Klitschko, Burns, the Vane is 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 uh, is his coaching team. You know, the Adam Smith from Sky. They're all just sitting there deadpan, like no one's reacting to it. They're all just like, "Oh fuck, is this really happening?" And it was just that made it even better. You know, they 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 should have laughed along with it. Klitschko should have laughed along with that and just thought, oh, "You fool!" But by then, Tyson was so in his head. He was so like he. He'd felt so disrespected by Tyson that he literally couldn't hide his emotions anymore. He was just sitting there seething. And at that moment, in hindsight, obviously at the time, in the build-up, you thought, what's he oh, he's playing around, he's got no chance. But obviously, if you look back at it now, knowing what we know about the fight, it's just so evident that Klitschko had lost the fight before the bell even rung because he had no fucking idea what Tyson Fury was going to do next. Not only outside the ring, but inside the ring. And if you remember the fight, Klitschko was climbing into the ring and Fury's talking to him. Fury's already over the side <laughs> of the ring, having a go and telling him this, telling him that. And it, it, that Klitschko that night was... I think we're going to, unfortunately, we're going to see a very different Klitschko on Saturday night. On, on that night against Fury, he seemed happy to be as Fury's dance partner, didn't he? He was just completely gun shy. He was terrified of what Tyson Fury was going to do next. And next thing you know, the fight was over and it was gone. I think we're going to see a very different Vladimir Klitschko on Saturday night. And again, you, you're right, it brings us back to the fact that should AJ have done more to get inside his head? The thing I liked about this was the whole Tyson Fury story, I suppose, building up towards it because he, I think he'd earned his opportunity for a shot at a, at a, at a championship about two, three years previous. But yeah. so many things fell through. Obviously, David Hay pulled out on him a couple of times, and obviously, I think he was in line for Klitschko. Klitschko sidestepped him because he was doing other things, and yeah. it was a there was a massive, massive build up to it. And I know that we've complained about gloves are off and the TV show this week. I suppose AJ versus Klitschko doesn't necessarily need it. It's going to sell anywhere. 
Um, but the gloves are off between Klitschko and Fury was absolutely brilliant. There was a moment in it, and the story, I still piss myself at this story now. Because having met Tyson Fury, this is exactly what he's like, right? This is what goes on in his head. He talks about that famous sauna incident. Do you remember it? Mm-hmm. He's talking about being in the sauna with Klitschko. I think he'd gone over to Germany for some sparring. Sparring, yeah. And he was in the sauna, obviously, after a hard session. Klitschko comes in, right? And Tyson Fury has a competition with Klitschko of who can stay in the sauna for the longest period of time, yeah? Now, nothing's verbally said. They've not said that they're doing it. They're not saying, let's see who can stay in here the longest. It was just think something going on in Tyson's head. Tyson was trying to out-psych him. Yeah. And uh, there must have been a moment within that where Klitschko kind of cottons onto what uh, Tyson Fury's doing and plays along with it. They're both sat there. So every, all these other guys are coming in and out of the sauna and they leave. Tyson Fury stays in there. Vladimir Klitschko stays in there. I think they're doing about 40, 45 minutes in this sauna. Tyson refused to leave the sauna. He just refused to leave. He was prepared to go out on his feet, get carried out in an ambulance. Klitschko bottles it, according to Tyson, gets up, walks away. Now, Klitschko, in the gloves are off, denies that this ever happened. Uh, I don't know what you're talking about. Yes, we were in the sauna, but there was no competition. It was all in your head. But there was something in that. There was something in the eyes. There's something that way that they conversed that whole scenario that told the audience and told me in particular, as I'm sat watching that at home, going, it really did happen. That really did happen. And Fury got... At that moment, I thought to myself, he's got this guy. He's yep. in his head. If he has the perfect game plan now on fight night, he becomes heavyweight champion of the world. And boy, did he, mate. He did something that nobody's done before. He, he boxed on the back foot against Klitschko. He didn't come forward. No, no, exactly. And uh, again, that threw Klitschko completely as well because he's so used to being on the back foot and letting people come towards him that he had to drive the fight. You know, he played He played on the fact that it was in Germany and Klitschko was under pressure to do a number on this loud mouth Brit that had insulted him and, and bashed him all the way through. He, he was in his head that Klitschko had to force the pace of the fight, something that he was, wasn't was prone to doing. In the, in the 11 years previous when he was undefeated for so long that it, you know, it just looked impossible that anybody was going to beat him. That's how he'd done it. I, I remember watching the fight itself on the night as well and you know I remember it got like two thirds through the fight eighth and ninth round or whatever and I was thinking fucking hell this is a great performance from Tyson brilliant it looks like Klitschko was just frozen and in my mind I was like there's got to be a rematch because I had it was in Germany it was Klitschko there was no way we were going to get a decision. So in my mind, I was like, fuck yeah, we're going to get a rematch here. Tyson Fury's going to get a rematch. I wonder if we can get it in the UK. Wow, I wonder, imagine if we can get it in... That was my train of thought. And then we, in the 11th round, if you remember, Tyson was Dr. Point for punching around the back of the head. Yeah. And at that point, I was like, you bastard. They're going to take it off him on that. You know, I was thinking, that's, they're going to give Klitschko that round. That's two points now. They're going to, they're going to scam him out of it. They, they, they're going to rob him of it. They're going to rob him of a decision. He's, you know, I, like most people, I had him well ahead. Tyson had the fight in the bag. But I was thinking, that point off, they're, they're going to rob him. They're going to... So when it, when it got to the final decision, I genuinely still thought Klitschko was going to get it, even though I scored Tyson Fury as the winner. And I was just thinking, fuck... We need to get, you know, the British board needs to get in here straight away. We need a rematch. You know, it needs to come to the UK. Tyson's going to get robbed. So when he got the decision, that's what made it even more epic. And that's what, after 10 years of Klitschko dominance, after Lennox retired and everything else, it was such a seminal moment for the sport because it was like, wow, the belts no longer belong to two brothers based out of Germany. The belt, you know, the sport has changed forever now. And at the time you were thinking, 
fuck me, where does Tyson Fury go from here? Like, how big a star can yeah. this guy become? You know, he's just un—he's just done the impossible. He's just done the one thing that no heavyweight has been able to do for over a decade. And he's ours. He's British. Let's bring him back. Let's, unfortunately, it was, you know, like the British media often tend to do, they, they completely fucking beat him up over it. And next thing you know, they're asking him about his religious beliefs and everything yeah. else. And they knock down what was an incredible moment and a moment that we should look back on fondly. Tyson Fury, Fury did the impossible. They wanted it. Was it they fucking want, remarkable. They wanted him banned from BBC Sports pan, personality. It's unbelievable. Like, it's the heavyweight champion of the world. He's a proud gypsy man. Who gives a fuck what his religious beliefs are, his beliefs on women? I hate it when we get these guys that have worked so hard. Listen, he's heavyweight champion of the world. Like, you know, Celebrating a- for that. Yes, okay, I have an opinion on what he does outside the ring. That's cool. But don't yeah. judge him inside the ring for what he does outside the ring. Judge his sporting achievement. So he was what twenty seven at the time, something mm. like that. It, it, to, to become the heavyweight champion, to become the champion of the world in anything, you, you don't sit there reading papers every day. You don't sit there fucking in, involving yourself in television or debates or in elections or anything like that. To become an elite sportsman at, at this level, at world championship level, across any sport, you've got to be one hundred percent single minded. You can't be sitting there playing on fucking YouTube all day. You've got to be training and focused and one hundred percent drilled. So who when they, when they become champions, why bother asking them their political views or anything else? Because they they haven't really got a, a decent view on life because. Their life is sport. Their life is to become the world champion at their sport. Just fucking celebrate them for being the world champion at that sport because they haven't had time to do anything else. I hate the way the British media do that and I hate the way Tyson Fury is is kind of... This moment should have been the defining moment of his life and yet it was the moment which set him up to be completely and utterly crucified by the British press. Bullshit, man. Hate it. Away from audio of that fight of him being announced the heavyweight champion oh please tell me we've got some audio of his post fight mate this is it his post fight was one of the greatest post fight moments ever because it was so it was so weird and also so cringy well I was but it was brilliant well I was thinking of something right because if you remember when we first started doing what we do now on Fight Disciples it was around the time of him becoming heavyweight champion of the world when we started our conversations about doing this it was November 2015 and I had a conversation with Tyson for a radio show that I was doing. And the whole conversation, mate, was obviously congratulations about becoming heavyweight champion of the world. I don't want to talk about the fight because you were brilliant, yeah? Super, yeah. well done, you're the champ. I want to talk about the post fight. This is brilliant. Fucking awesome. And if you remember it, he sang, he got the microphone and he did a bit of a rendition of Aerosmith. Calm yourself. <laughs> Fucking majestic. If you've not heard this chat uh, between myself and Tyson. Uh, Have you got your chat? Oh, yeah, yeah. play that instead. Yeah, yeah. play that I've instead. I've got two, two or three days after the fight. I phoned him up and we had a conversation and this is what it went like. Mike, who you've been speaking to, my producer, has made you something. He's put a little bit of music to what you uh, did at the end of uh, of Saturday Night, mate. Take a listen to this. I'm sure you'll appreciate it. Go for it. I can lay awake just to see you breathing. Watch you smile while you were sleeping. While you're far away and dreaming. I could spend my life in the sweet surrender I can stay lost in this moment forever Every moment spent with you is moment I treasure I love 
The best thing about that, I know you're singing to Paris there, which is absolutely beautiful, mate, but yeah. the, the crowd are singing along with you. Everyone was singing. Did you see the video of uh, Freddie Flintoff singing it as well? Oh, mate, sensational stuff. You've yeah. caused the right storm. Like I say, if you fancy X Factor, it's there for you if you want to have a go at it. Listen, I can suppose they're going to have a go at it. Britain's got talent, X Factor, whatever you want to do. <laughs> I don't suppose they're going to refuse the heavyweight champion of the world, are they? Mate, there's, there's a, something romantic about that. Something romantic about the sound of it. No disrespect to any it, other weight it divisions. Was, it was very fitting, though, wasn't it? You know, I, I, play, I sung the Armageddon theme song, song and I conquered the world. You're listening to the Fight Disciples podcast. You're going Klitschko knockout eight, yeah? Uh, you know, I've kind of I've I've said it early in the week. Again, let me just reiterate: I hope, I hope, I'm completely wrong. I hope AJ gets the job done inside the first three or four rounds. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I, I, I agree with everybody else. That's when he's going to be at his most, his most dangerous. Um, you want, you want, are you ready goes. for mine? Yeah. Okay. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna commit then to to Klitschko in eight. Klitschko KO eight. Yeah. 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 Is mine. Joshua off the canvas to win. In eight, wow! I Tremendous. think he's going to get rocked. I think he's. The, I think he's going to be a proper test. I think he's going to maybe. He's going to come in, like he normally does, in those yeah. straight lines, firing the shots off. And I think he's going to hurt Klitschko early doors. But Klitschko's a wily old cat. He'll stick around, and I think Klitschko will catch him at some point. Clip him. Yeah. yeah, I think he will. Very similar to what we saw with Dillian. I think it's going to go longer than the Dillian fight. But there's just something written in the stars for me with Joshua this weekend. There's just something about it and there's going to be a dawning of a new heavyweight age. That's how I see it. So we both agree on the round. We just have a little bit of a different opinion of uh, who, who, who's going to win. Who's Listen, going to be coming uh, out on top. Hand on heart, I hope you're right. I hope you're right, you know, and... Uh... You know, hopefully it'll be a double celebration for us on Saturday, won't Go we? on, son. Tell them about it. We're off to Wembley and then we've got a little bit of an award ceremony to attend as well. With our King's Cross, of course. It's the British Podcast Awards this Saturday night. We're going down. We're going down. Um, I was going to say we're going. The full army's going full down. Squad, the full yeah. army's me, you and Mike. That's the, it. The full army is three of us. The three of us are going down. Uh, on Saturday, of course, with the British Podcast Awards at King's Cross, and then we're on a, a very fast tube, hopefully straight over to Wembley for Absolutely. the big fight. Um, oh, can't wait! I can't, I can't wait for the award show because I'm looking forward to it because it's, you know, it, it's nice to be recognised by your peers, you know, and for for two guys that have been doing a show for just a little over twelve months to. To, to end that 12-month cycle by getting shortlisted for the most prestigious podcast award show in the UK is is pretty cool, mate. So little tap on the back of the both of us. And at this stage, I'd like to say it's all about being shortlisted and it's all about taking part. But, you know, <laughs> the competitive nature. Want to win. We're fucking going to King's Cross to bring that trophy home. Hopefully, of course mate. we are. Hopefully. Uh, best sports uh, 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 podcast is what we are nominated for. And if you want to keep up to date with how that goes... Um, and a bit of backstage action as well from Wembley, then make sure you follow us. I think we'll do it on Instagram. We love an Instagram story at Fight Night. So if you follow us on Instagram, at Fight Disciples, if you're sat at home, you've got your pay-per-view on, maybe you've got the beers in that we uh, told you about earlier on this week from beer52.com, code word uh, fight for a little bit of discounted ale. Maybe you're watching that. £10 off your beers, yeah. Absolutely. £10 off. And you're uh, wanting to keep up to date. Oh, what's going on? Let's get some backstage action. We will have a little bit of backstage from the awards ceremony. Whether we win, lose or draw, I've no doubt we'll be throwing our toys out of the pram. Um, if if it's not a victory and then obviously everything that's happening at Wembley as well will be there and we'll try and get some uh, of the main protagonists on our Instagram feed so make sure you come and join us once again thank you so much for being a part of what we do hopefully you've enjoyed that as we took you on a little bit of a journey through heavyweight fights that's synonymous in our lives hopefully you've got your own please tweet them us let us us know what's uh, prominent in your life at Fight Disciples on Twitter 
Uh, and if this is the first time you've ever come across us, fightdisciples.com is the website. That's where you can subscribe for free. It is going to be something quite special on Saturday night. We'll catch you next week for all the fallout. Thank you for listening. If you like what you heard, subscribe via iTunes.